And so as you take this step today, it's your confirmation, your decision to be sure, just like it's all of our decision every day to come to the promise of God's grace. But that decision has been empowered by the one who brought the gift first. The Holy Spirit empowers you and empowers us to take these steps to walk in the light. So as confirmands, you say yes to Jesus today. Remember that God moved first. And now He invites you to share every slice of your life to glorify Him. To honor Him first. In the letter of 1 John, it's often described as a series of tests or markers of what it means to be a Christian. Or as John puts it, to invite us to walk in the light. So just as a candle representing the light of Christ was lit at your baptism, you confirmands and all of us now, all of us are invited to remember every good gift comes from God and now we walk in His light. And we remember how we walked in that light. We walk in that light as the previous weeks have taught us in chapters 1 and 2 in repentance and receiving that grace in obedience to His Word and in love in loving one another and abiding in Christ. And now John does something astonishing. We move, as one commentator put it, from divine fellowship in the previous chapters to divine birthright. I remember each of the, with each of the birth of each of my kids of holding them for the first time and looking into their eyes and knowing that come what may, they were mine, precious gifts of God. A moment I will never forget. But I know for some of us, those birthright moments aren't always such sweet memories. For some of us here today, not unlike my story, when I was born, in fact, I'm pretty sure that a fight broke out in the hallway after I was born between family members. And so, however less rosy of circumstance, however broken, however much darkness or hatred breaks into your life and in your world, however that characteristic of the darkness of this world keeps affecting us, we have a reminder today in this very first verse in 1 John that darkness doesn't have the last word. The one who brought the good gift, the one who created us, the one who redeemed us, the one who brought the pie, the one who loves us does. He's the one that invites us to walk in the light. And so we're going to spend the bulk of this confirmation sermon on this very first verse of this whole chapter. We'll touch on the rest of it, but this first verse changes everything and from which everything else comes. To help you get a hold of just how astonishing this first verse is in chapter 3, I want to tell you this story. A couple was having a meal in a Tennessee restaurant. They were on vacation. The husband was a professor in a seminary, and he noticed as they were enjoying their meal that there was an 
old jolly codger walking his way through the restaurant, seeming to stop at every table and visiting. And he was hoping, as he and his wife discussed it, that they wouldn't get interrupted. They could just enjoy this time of vacation and not have to do small talk. But wouldn't you know it, this gentleman made his way over to their table and introduced himself, Ben Hopper, or Hooper, excuse me, and said, hey, you know, started visiting, what are you, where are you from, and what do you do? And tr- hoping this would shut the conversation down, he said, well, I'm a professor of homiletics, which means he teaches preachers how to preach. And instead of shutting it down, the gentleman then sat down in the booth with them. And began to tell this story. He said, you know, when I was 12 years old, Life wasn't all that great. My mom wasn't married to my dad. In fact, he wasn't around. And people had a name for me that they used quite frequently. It wasn't very nice. In fact, even in the church, he said, uh, I would sneak in late and sit in the back after the service started and try to leave before it was all over so I didn't have to get the stares and the condemnations and, and, the, and the name calling that I hear from my friends well, one particular service, pastor surprised him, and the sermon went short, and the service ended quick, which won't happen today. And he got stuck in line, and he had to shake the pastor's hand. And as he got back towards the back there, and the pastor saw him, He said, oh, son, I know who you are. I know whose child you are. His face turned red. He's like, oh, here it comes. The pastor looked at him. Yeah, son, I know whose child you are. You are a child of God. As he sat in that restaurant booth so many years later, Still emotional from that moment, he shared with the couple that his life changed at that moment. Everything changed. He had a new identity, and he was going to live out of that identity. Well, he bid them adieu and got off and started visiting with some other folks in the restaurant. And then that professor dawned on him, "Uh, Ben Hooper, wait, oh, I know there's a Ben Hooper in Tennessee. Oh yeah, the governor of Tennessee, their famous governor, he realized that uh, this young boy who had once felt cursed had discovered the promise of God, the, the promise that we hear today for us in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. This promise that's to see what kind of love the Father has given, not just given, but lavished on us that we should be called the children of God, and that is what we are. Now we live in 2016, but if you lived in the first century and you lived in a Roman province, you would know that this imagery of birthright and adoption was common, and they would have understood it to mean something quite different than maybe we think of adoption today. Not just of caring for and loving on a a beautiful child, but for them it had to do with birthright and inheritance. And if you were adopted in this first century, you would have been given a new name for sure, but what you'd been given is 
a cutting off of the old. If you owed anything, if your family had debts, if there was anything that held you back in this old life, it was now gone. And now you put on this new identity, a new name, and you get a new inheritance. That happens for all of us in our baptism. And today, confirmants, as you, with open arms, receive that promise as you have over these last couple days in many different ways, we now remember that we have a new identity. The old is gone, as Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, and behold, the new has come, a new inheritance of eternal life, a new inheritance that directs where our life is headed. Now, I want you to grasp the power and the astonishment and even the wonder of this declaration. The power in this new identity is, the, is that we don't live like we once did. Not because we're good, but because God calls us His children. John uses this word, this Greek word that would have been familiar to his hearers, protopen, which means what country are you from to start this verse out? He says, we, we translate as, see what kind of, it's kind of like weak in comparison to how they would have heard it. Because this word was used when ships came into shore and people were wondering and they were excited. Oh, what country are they coming from? What great gifts are they bringing? What exotic things are about to happen? It was a word uh, of thrilling wonder and astonishment that they would call out from the shore to the ships as they arrived. And so John uses that word to call out to us what wonder is coming? It's nothing less than the lavish love of God that now claims you and names you and gives you a new inheritance as children of God. And out of that astonishing birthright that pays our debt, that gives us a new way of living, however good or bad it once was, who we are is now defined by being children of God. And out of that calling, we have a holy, royal, lavish love that gives us identity. As Matthew puts it, to invite us to seek first his kingdom, to repent as we've heard, to receive as we've heard, to obey, to love, and abide. Another way to look at it is you think about God's pie. God gets first dibs on the slices of our lives. Confirmands out of our identity given to us by God, we now live our lives. We call that word worldview. We call that putting Christ at the center. And as we turn the page to verse 2 and now look at the rest of the chapter, we realize that we have not yet arrived until Christ comes again. Everything will not be resolved. You won't be perfect. You'll still have questions. You'll still have struggles. But as we live in this new identity, we find out right away, we hear that the world won't like it. So, I know it's not very fun, but as you confirm your faith, you're confirming also that you will not be loved. You will not be liked by the world. There will still be those who love you and we love you. 
But most of all, God loves you because he lavishes it upon you. But as we live in that new identity, it's not always warm and fuzzy. The scripture tells us we'll even be hated for it. And so John now says, having given this new identity, we're now called to live in it. And he kind of repeats himself. He tells us again, hey, you need to love one another. And we'll talk about that. And then he says, and you need to obey God's righteous teaching. Why does he repeat himself? Well, remember, he's speaking to a church who's believed some of the lies. The lies of Gnostic teaching. The lies that says it doesn't matter what you do or what you say or how you treat people. You can do whatever you want and still have this special knowledge. That's all you need. Or the lie that says it's about what you do and how good you are instead of about how good God is and about the pronouncement of being His child. And so He reminds us that loving one another and obeying God's commands are not to be taken lightly. Let's look at love for a moment. Luther says to abide in love should be the motive for us as Christians. And there's no argument against love. There's no argument against love, even if it's not appreciated or hated. Tim Tebow is, uh, you can, we can debate all day long about how good a football player he is or baseball player. But you can't argue about the way that he shares his wealth generously with those in need, or the way he visits folks in the hospital, or the way he prays for those who are hurting. He still gets hated for it, but people have to acknowledge these acts of love and kindness. There's no argument against it. That's true for you and for me too. Whatever we say or believe as God leads us to confess as you'll confess today needs to be backed up the scripture says with love. Love for one another and love for others. By the way it's not that we shouldn't use words. The scripture is not trying to say that here. It's trying to say we just need to back it up. John transitions as he talks about this from talking about this kind of sacrificial love that God has for us in verse 16 that we know what love is, that He laid down His life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our friends. He transitions from that to talk about what it looks like when there isn't that kind of love. He looks at Cain and Abel. He says, why is that so broken? Why was that family so falling apart? Why was hatred reigning? Well, because Cain was not obeying God's righteous word. And then he was envious when Abel got the props because Abel was walking in the light. And that just led Cain down a dark road even further as he hated his brother and murdered him. And so we are invited to take heed from that warning. The Scripture tells us today not to... Take sin lightly. If we walk in the darkness of sin, we're walking in the footsteps of the devil and leading towards death. And so 
young men and women, you are called to live righteous lives following God's path of love and holiness. A Christian teenage girl was out with her friends and a decision was made by the group to go somewhere and do a particular thing at that particular place that she was uncomfortable with. She had just a few seconds to maybe hesitate and think it through and then she said, I, I need you to take me home. Then her friends began to snicker and make fun of you and say, well, what, what, what are you, you afraid? Your dad's going to hurt you if he finds out? She said, no. It's not that I'm afraid that my dad will hurt me. I'm afraid that I'll hurt my father if I do this. You see, we don't just avoid the darkness when we walk in this life uh, because we fear the dark. We do it because we love our Heavenly Father who's given us this new identity to glorify our Father in Heaven. It's our family identity. It's how we are called to live and breathe. Remember, walking in the light will make our joy complete, we heard in chapter 1. But he doesn't say it'll be easy. And so we don't live in the light out of fear for the darkness. Although a debate has raged, let's pause for a moment about this text and say, hey, does this text mean that there are some sins that can't be forgiven? Does this text mean that, that if I sin, I'm not really a Christian? If we read the whole letter, we know that that can't be true because in chapter 1, he tells us that if we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins. In chapter 2, he says, I don't want you to sin, but if you do, you have an advocate on your behalf. So now in chapter 3, as he reiterates the importance of not sinning, he's not taking away the grace that has been offered, the opportunity to repent and to be forgiven. Instead, he's giving us an assurance of our faith, an assurance that we can have today as markers of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. So as you step up to the plate today and follow Jesus, the markers of that are love and obedience. And so yes, repentance and receiving grace continue. And abiding in Christ looks a lot like loving and obeying Him. And He gives us that assurance of our faith. I know that because some of you have said that. I wish you all could have heard the great testimonies last night. We were here for about an hour and a half as students uh, celebrated their faith and then also stood up and stood before their family and friends and testified to their faith like Luther did when he said, here I stand, I can do no other. These young people did. They said things like, my faith is getting stronger. It's growing. It's different now than it once was, they said. They said it's deeper. And like the scripture said today, it's not yet arrived. Some of them said, ah, I'm not reading the Bible like I want to yet, but I want to get there. I'm not yet praying like I want to yet, but I, uh, but I want to go in that direction. And they realize as they do that, that God's been using them. They testify just last night to us that God was using them on, on mission trips. They saw God at work in their hearts and their lives through them and their friends with compassion children that their family adopt together. In conversation with their friends, sometimes best friends, cheering each other on in the faith. 
and being encouraged by the fellowship that they've enjoyed together these last few years. We can have assurance of our faith because we have been named children of God. And what do children of God look like? They look like folks who repent of their sin. They obey even when the crowd goes differently. They fight the urges of the devil in the dark, whether it's in a bottle or on a screen for you, or whether it's trying to keep things even and fair in relationship. Or maybe you didn't get the right call. We're invited to lay all that aside and put on Christ. In Colossians, Paul picks up on this image and he says, when, they, when we get this new name, uh, the Romans actually, they get a new toga, a new symbol of their new family. And he says, put on Christ like you put on that new identity. When you were baptized, you got, you know, most of us got a candle, something like this. And when it was lit, we read the passage from Matthew chapter 5 that said, Let your light shine before others and glorify your Father in heaven. Let this free gift be your identity now. And see what love, this astonishing, amazing love, the Father has lavished on you that you should be called children of God and that is what you are. All the baptized, all those being confirmed today, all of us here are called to put on Christ with the Spirit of God's pronouncement as His children, children of God. That is what we are. That is what you are. So let's walk in that light. Amen.